How's it going, everyone? Today, our special guest is legendary character actor Vernon Wells. Uh, you've seen Vernon in movies such as uh, Mad Max 2 as Wes, Inner Space, Commando, uh, the iconic role of uh, Bennett, and uh, numerous other movies and television shows. And it's great to finally have you out here, Vernon. Thank you, John. It's, it's, um, uh, I'm happy to be here. And I guess I should talk to you. Uh, I'll be back, John. <laughs> I appreciate that. With everything going on in the world with COVID, and obviously you're in an industry that was one of the first to shut down, it will probably be the last to come back like it was before. How has that affected you kind of mentally and physically? Um, well, I, I think my wife would say that it's affected me mentally a lot because I'm a lot more aggro than normal. I, I tend to get a little bit like a cage bear after a while. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's different. I mean, I'm I, I notice that the industry is changing in a lot of ways, which are good, a lot of good ways. Um, and then there's also a lot of bad ways that are changing uh, as as happens. But I'm I guess I'm luckier than most people because I'm still being booked onto films that will be shot either at the end of. December or into January, February, March, April of next year, people are, are organizing their schedules. So I'm being booked into things. But it's still, it's frustrating from the point of view of, of I've uh, had about four or five films put into hiatus. And, and I think that's frustrating from an actor's point of view. Of, that's what we do for a living, you know, and suddenly it's like uh, all of that that's where I get all of my energy out, is on the set. One of the things I've noticed, you're very active too. Like if you go on the internet movie database, it's like you're so busy. And to have you, to see you have that passion still, is that what drives you? Because you actually do really love what you do. Uh, yeah, I, I adore what I do. I love what I do. I, I have two passions in life. One is acting and the other is my wife, unfortunately. Um, she would say, um, and uh, I, I, I love acting, I love producing, and I love directing. I'm getting more into directing um, a lot of stuff with my partner, Brian Martin, and uh, it's something that's never gone away, you know, that for a kid that was born on, uh, uh, um, in the country in Australia, lived with his grandfather for most of his young life until he became a young adult. I feel blessed that I've, I've gone as far as I've gone. I mean, I have been incredibly lucky. Um, I've been able to create uh, characters that people seem to um, zone into and keep as part of... <laughs> You know, never have a manager. They're going to ring you at all the wrong times. That was my, uh, yeah, that's my manager ringing me to ask me a question. Um, it's, uh, I just, you know, I haven't gone past the childish attitude of, of being surprised every time I'm, I'm hired. Um, I'm always, I always feel blessed when I do a film. I always do my, the best job I can do. Um, and it, the funny thing is, is that while this COVID-19 is going on, 
I'm winning Best Actor awards for films that are now being released onto the circuit, and it's like, oh, this is weird. You know, it's it's stuff that I did two, two and a half years ago, three years ago, that is now coming out because of COVID. Right. And I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, I'm but hey, I'm enjoying it. I think it's wonderful, and I, I just um, I'm very upset for for all the people that are suffering because of you know we are very blessed where we live um we live down by the coast it's really nice not a lot of people in the in the community we live in have, have had COVID or or uh, suffered from it people are very apart from the people on the beach who seem to think that running around without a mask and and cuddling each other is a great idea um everybody else where i live is very um conscious of staying apart the Restaurants won't let you in unless you have a mask. You have to sit outside, all this thing. So I think we haven't been as affected as a lot of people. The only person we knew that had COVID was our uh, builder, who um, we found out. He went missing for like six weeks and we couldn't find him. And it turned out that he had contact contracted COVID and then his whole family got it and uh, everybody got over it fortunately but that that's he's the closest uh, person to us that uh, had it but um, we still you know I, I still feel for all these people that are suffering people that I know that have lost very close friends or family it's it's and then you know you still have people saying well you know it's just like the flu well you know what? I think if I got the flu and my uh, doctor gave me a, a shot, I'd be over it real quick. Um, this, you know, it's it's the unknown. I think that scares you. It's like going into a film that that you don't know any of the actors, director, or anything else, and you don't speak the language. It's terrifying um, because you you know that you're on your own in your own way, and that I think. You know, I had this chat uh, to Gracie uh, a couple of months ago, and it's still on my mind, is that my biggest fear is if that I did get it, I would die alone. And I think for people, or for you, humans in particular, that is a terrible fear, that you're going to be, you can't have that that compassion before you die. You know, you're right. going to die. And I think that's probably the biggest fear I have uh, through all this, but... Anybody that wants me to work with them is, is very conscious of being very COVID-19, um, uh, you know, making sure that we're, we're following all the rules, regulations and everything. So everybody's safe. Right. I do appreciate. But once again, right. I, I'm, you know, I wish we didn't have it. And I wish the whole world was back where it was. But, you know. Before you thought your big break at Mad Max 2 as Wes, you were doing a bunch of stuff from salesman, working in the quarry, to theater, to everything in between. What from those learning experiences and previous jobs helped you become the, the character, actor you became? He's going to drive me mad. Hang on a sec. I'm going to switch my phone off. I love it. Uh, it it's just, seriously, it's he never he hasn't rung me for like four days now suddenly he's got to ring me every time there i'm on i'm on airplane mode he can ring all he likes it won't affect me um it, it it's funny because i never wanted to be an actor number one 
Yeah, it, it was one of those things that never, ever entered my mind. My mother was a songwriter. Uh, she wrote for Slim Dusty people in Australia. Um, she was quite successful. Her songs got done. But when I was born, uh, she gave that up, which was what happened back then. You know, you didn't have a career and a child. You had a career or a child. And I came along, so my mother's career went down the toilet. Um, and I became... Uh, the one uh, that, that seemed to be the only one in the family out of all my siblings that had any inclination to enjoy anything that had to do with, with um, music or anything else. And uh, I thought, I thought I'd follow my mother's footsteps. I got into bands in Australia, big bands, and became a um, front of band, a singer, lead singer in, in some quite big bands. Um, and that was where I saw myself because it was like following in my mother's footsteps, letting her know that she had succeeded in her own way with me. Um, acting, you know, when I, when I was growing up and living on the farm with my grandfather, the only closest thing I got to that was radio programs in the morning before I went to school, you know, Biggles and Superman and, and uh, all of those wonderful 10-minute radio shows that came on early in the week. They don't have them anymore, unfortunately, but they had them back then. And they always ended with a cliffhanger, you know, the man with the kryptonite, will Superman survive? You know, and you're terrified for 24 hours that Superman might die, forgetting, of course, it's Superman. Um, but it was this whole, that was it for me. And it didn't, it didn't appeal to me in a way that, that I wanted to be that person or do that thing. And um, I, I just started, uh, I went to, uh, went back to Melbourne, lived with my mother when I grew up and started going to, to school. I went to school down there, to uni down there. And my father wanted me to have a career. Um, I was always a bit of a wanderer um, and uh, with the bands and everything. And he wanted me to have a career. He was very, very strict on that. So I got a degree in electrical engineering. And... Once I got that, I thought, well, I've got my degree in electrical engineering. That should uh, satisfy him, and I'll just wander off and do what I want to do, which was sing in bands. Um, unfortunately, I was hurt uh, quite severely in a accident with the um, equipment truck that we had for the band, and I uh, compressed uh, three vertebrae in my back, so I was having a lot of trouble standing and walking. And while I was recovering, they, uh, my, our manager took my photograph around to all of the different agencies because he, seriously, he just wanted to get rid of me because I was a pain in his ass. Um, and so I was like, if I can get him a job, I'm not going to have to put up with him anymore. So I got a job virtually modeling. I, I started off as a model, did not like that. It was like boring after a while. Um, and then they put me into being an extra in things, which I liked. The reason I liked it was I could go behind the camera and talk to all the crew. And I loved that. I was more interested in what they did than what I was doing in front of the camera. And I got to do a lot of um, shows um, as like the uh, the star's right-hand man who said nothing. He was just there, you know, like the whole right. thing that was always there, the, the shadow in the background. Um, I did a lot of that. But didn't really intrigue me that much, seriously. It did if I was riding horses or I was driving cars or trucks or something. Um, that intrigued me. I loved it. I had a lot of fun. But mostly, 
I just was more interested in behind the cameras and I actually started working for one of the um, top uh, directors for commercials in Australia as his assistant. And I worked my way, way up from that to being um, a director in the company. And that's where I sort of, once again, I thought that was my career. You know, I thought singing was, now I thought that directing was my career. And I got asked to do a stage play called Hosanna by Michel Tremblay, a French-Canadian writer. Um, there's only two people. It's a two-hander. It's about uh, two hours of um, two people. Um, and it's quite hard to go. It's a transvestite and her boyfriend. Well, that kind of, you know, born in the country, wrestle cows, you know, I'm going to play a what? No, no, no. <laughs> No, not happening. Um, and actually, uh, my brother talked me into it. He told me I was a wimpy little homo twit to go and do it. You know, it's like, oh, thanks, bro. You know, I'm glad you're standing up for me. So um, I eventually said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, as happenstance would have it, my grandfather always used to say to me that we have a career path and a life path and we follow them or we don't. And if we, if we veer off, we'll always be brought back if it's our destiny. And for some reason, I just kept being brought back to acting, you know. And so I was doing this stage play, and as happenstance would happen, as I said, um, we used to have in uh, Melbourne, Australia, they would have a, a Friday night late show once a month so that everybody that was working in theatre could come to the, you know, one or two different shows that were would play a late show and uh george miller director of uh, road worry his girlfriend at that stage sandy gore happened to come to the performance saw me rang up george and said you've got to come and see this guy you know he just right just in. and uh, so george and i i had no idea by the way who george was i'd never seen mad max um he came down to Melbourne. We went out and had a cup of coffee, told dirty jokes to each other, had an hysterical time. He left. I went back to my life and had no idea why the hell I'd had coffee with this man called George Miller. Um, a couple of months after we'd had coffee, my uh, manager rang me and said, you got to go to Sydney for wardrobe and uh, makeup tests for uh, Mad Max 2. I said, "Mad Ma what's a Mad Max 2? And she went, you've never seen Mad Max? And I went, what's a Mad Max? I mean, you know, And she said, Vernon, do yourself a favor. Go see it before you go to Sydney. So I went to the drive-in. It was at the drive-in. It was a double feature with Duel, which was Steven Spielberg's first movie. Yeah. So you had Road Warrior and Duel. So I went and saw them at the drive-in. And uh, the next day, my manager rang me and she said, so what did you think? And I went, Duel is such an amazing film. Oh, my God. It is so good. And she went, what did you think of Road Warrior? And I went, oh, yeah, that was pretty good, too. <laughs> so I thought the Duel was the greatest thing, um, which was not a very auspicious start to my career. So I went up to uh, Sydney, did the wardrobe and makeup um, things, George loved everything and uh that's where it all started i mean it was <laughs> destiny as they say i went and i i was an unknown actor who became the co-star of one of the biggest films of what the last 50 years or something back then it was just huge and uh so as you start 
building that role, at what point did you start kind of give kind of creative freedom to really build upon this character? Like in terms of the costume or dialogue or kind of like your mannerisms, it's, it's so iconic that I tend to believe that this eventually became you or you became this role halfway through and George was just like, let's go with it. It, yeah, there was a lot more to it than that. George is very um, uh, clever as a director for a start. He, what he did was for about a week, we all the cast had to write a biography of when we from the time we were born till the time the film started of our character. So we had to do a background. And every morning we would go in, we'd all be sitting around a table doing basically a table read of what we had written. And Terry Hayes and George Miller and Brian Hanna, the, the three writers of the of the film, would critique it and say, oh, yeah, that's good, like that. No, no, throw that out. That's crap. That's crap. You know, and what would happen? Then we'd go home and rewrite that night. Excuse me. We'd then come back next morning. We'd do it again. So by the end of the week, we had established a character. From the time he was born till the time the film started, we knew who this character was inside out. And from that, George allowed us to do the parts that we were doing. Like we had built a character, the mannerisms, the way I reacted to things, that all came about because of writing, continuously writing it, and I became the character. I mean, you're right. The character became me. I became the character. So... Uh, the most directing that George would do to most of us was he would say, give me 150%. So we would be way out there and then he would bring us down because he always liked that energy, you know, that, that full on, especially with my character, you know, because the big eyes and the, the close-ups in the camera being what I was, he always wanted that energy. And if it was too much, he could bring it back, but he could never take you up there. So he would always want you way above and then just bring you down and so it was uh, it was a learning experience for me and a, an incredible one because i got to hang out with george and i got to hang out with byron kennedy the producer that unfortunately was killed in the helicopter crash and um i even was in on some of the editing sessions in sydney watching how he edited the film so i got to have this amazing apprenticeship with what my career was going to be from this man. And then I had um, Mel, Mel, who was the most amazing person to work with. He was just such a gentleman to me, and he was so helpful to me. And um, all the other actors in it, I would say that 90% of the other actors in that film had screen credits and right. were big. Mine was Vernon Wells. That was it. You know, a lot of space under my name. You know, there was nothing there. And yet everybody treated me with the, best, the the most respect and gave me everything that I needed to make that character work, which I was so thankful for. Not while I was doing it. Strangely enough, while I was doing it, I didn't realize what they were doing. But sometime later, when I sort of understood what this was all about, I was like, oh, my God, you know, these people just went out of their way to make sure that I succeeded in that role. Because... It's the way I work now is because when you succeed, they succeed. When they succeed, you succeed. Right. It became this thing that you suddenly you're like, oh, oh, now I get it. So it was kind of uh, fun. And from that, um, uh, Joel Silver uh, cast me into Weird Science. Which, which is interesting because 
at first when you when I saw that movie, I'm like, well, this is like basically the same character, but it's more of a testament to how iconic Wes was in Bad Max 2 that Joel Silver was like, you can have fun with this. Oh yeah. And it was it was funny because he had to fight Warner Brothers to get permission to do it and they wouldn't give it to him. So they just changed if you notice the the costuming a bit, the hairstyle a bit, um, and did things because he was determined that I was going to be, and also it was the director as well. They were determined that that was the character I was going to be and that was the character that was going to come in and I was going to have fun with it. And um, it, it was uh, an, an amazing film to do because if you remember that film, there were so many people in that film that went on to become major, major, major stars. Oh, know? everyone. Iron Man. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr., you know, and, and things. So it was just one of those films. And uh, I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun. And while I was here, Joel said to me, I'm doing this film next. It's called Commando with this uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm an Australian. We don't know who Arnold Schwarzenegger is. He wasn't anything in Australia. You know, here he was because of the muscle thing. I had no idea. And I went, ah, oh, uh-huh. Who the hell is Arnold Schwarzenegger? Whatever his name is. Um so it was just this sort of, yeah, whatever. So he took me to meet the director, and the director said, no, I've already chosen the person I want, and uh, which didn't worry me. I was quite happy to go back to Australia, you know. Um, so I went home, and about uh, probably three months later, uh, a good friend of mine was chasing me all over Melbourne one night to try to let me know that I had a phone call from Joel Silver in America, and I had to ring him urgently. And, of course, I, I, being a total Australian, I went, yeah, screw him. I'll ring him tomorrow morning when I get up. And <laughs> they were like, uh, I don't think so. I think you'll ring him now. And it's like, why? Asshole didn't want me before. What's he got to do now? And, you know, total Australian. And uh, so I rang Joel and he said, um, I need you over here and within 48 hours. You've got 24 hours to get your life in order. and Then you're on a plane. And I was like, what, excuse me, who, where? And so basically um, I flew back, um, arrived in the States, uh, went to bed, got up six hours later, went to wardrobe. They had a, a fitting of the costume that had been worn by the previous actor. Now, is that the original costume that he wore? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Totally interesting when he was a little smaller than me. There was places that I thought I'd never use again. That costume was just a little tight. Uh, but anyway, they let things out and, you know, it was all this. Um, shaved my uh, beard off just to get and made me look like bloody Freddie Mercury, which I never realized. The funny thing is I love it when you are so blasé to what's going on around you. The first time I realized that was they did a mad, Remember Mad Comics? Yes. They did a thing on Commando. I've got two of them. I've got one that was for Road Warrior, one that was for Commando. And they did this thing on Commando in it, and they had this thing where then across the front of my shirt it says, I am not Freddie Mercury on steroids. And I went, what the? Oh, shit. And it was the first time it ever dawned on me in that whole time. I never, ever realized that I, I looked very similar to Freddie Mercury, which to me is like the greatest compliment I could get. Freddie Mercury was one of my heroes. So right. being being uh, told that I look like him was like, oh, my God, that is so cool. But 
Yeah. What, I, was, what was your first scene with Arnold? Like, how did you meet him? Was it in the trailer, or you were like, hey, get the set, and this is it? No, he was tied to a table, and I had a knife at his throat. <laughs> it was actually quite interesting because I work a little differently to um, uh, to the American actors because I, I kind of watch what's going on. I want to know where the camera is, where the lights are, where the actors are, what's going on, you know, who's doing what. It was just the way I was taught with George. And uh, we were doing the scene, and I was very sleepy anyway. I got a 12-hour flight and six hours of sleep. I was a little bit um, jet-lagged. And I was just sort of walking through the rehearsals, you know, like, yeah, you know, like that. And Arnie was a little upset, you know, he sort of thought that, you know, Joel, I'm uh, not quite sure what's wrong with him, but it ain't going to work. And Joel was like, well, let's give it a, let's do this scene and see where we go with it sort of thing. So, um, of course, the minute they said action, I just had this knife deeply embedded in his throat. Doing the scene when it was finished, Joel said, "So, what do you think?" And Joel, um, um, his comment was, "Don't ever give him a real knife." <laughs> awesome. So we became good friends. I mean, both him and Mel are very much like kids in a in a toy shop. You know, they're they're both like big kids. They they're always pulling pranks. They're always, but they're they're very professional when they work. Um, but they're like big kids, you know. You, you, at times, you sort of think, you know, I, I just want to take him outside and kick his ass. But then, you know, if you do that, he's going to kick yours and it will hurt more than yours did. So you, you tend to be very forgiving for all the, the bad jokes they do when they pull your trailer apart and, you know, just little things. How fun is it for you to be part of this pop culture lexicon where your certain one-liners or how you say hello john or these different even your character deaths in road war or mad max 2 and commando are so iconic that is it so the commando when you get impaled by the the uh, steam pipe did you know at the time that would be a bead years down the road or people talked about that and that's just a classic scene no i i was just busy doing my job the thing that the thing that did get me was that when in that scene, Arnie was determined to throw that piece of pipe into my chest. And the worst thing you can ever see as an actor is on a six-foot-high ladder, six foot of Arnold Schwarzenegger with a grin that goes all the way across his face, holding this pipe and going, this isn't going to hurt a bit, Vernon. And you're like, I am going to suffer. I know I will be bruised all the way to my elbows when he throws that and of course you know he's hurling this thing down the into my chest plate but it was fun i mean you know that's the kind of uh stuff you the camaraderie on sets is i think what makes it work and also i think having fun with what you've got you know people tend to take it all too seriously when if you're enjoying it and you're having fun doing it, it tends to come out in the film. You know, people tend to look at the film and they see something. You know, your eyes have always got to be alive. People always say to me, everything you do, you can see in your eyes, which is true because your eyes, and I, I watch films and so many actors, their eyes are just like, there's nothing there. They're just normal. Whereas that should be where the emotion is playing if you're into the character. 
And yeah, there's there's something about that character though. It's like we we talked uh, before we were live, but uh, when I'm on the road doing security for the band Shine Down, Commando is one of those movies we always kind of reference with inside jokes or whatever. But the guitar player Zach will always go on the radio, "Hello, John," or he'll quote these lines, and it it just it makes me really appreciate like growing up in a time where movies like that were so awesome. If you were a part of these movies, the talk to you right now is just awesome. Oh, you know, I'm, as I said, I've had an amazing career and still I'm having an amazing career. Um, I, I think I'm blessed for what I've got. Um, I would not be here, and I say this with all sincerity, I would not be here in this position talking to you if it wasn't for the little Buddhist over here that I'm married to. Um, because I was on a downhill run. I really was. Um very quick downhill run that would have probably ended with me being put in a box right uh, but she everything changed uh, 28 years ago and uh, everything changed in my career 28 years ago i suddenly started doing my job the way it was supposed to be done and uh, i haven't stopped working since um and i think it's all I had too much too soon too quick and I didn't know how to handle it and I didn't know what it was and I could not cope with who I was it took me three or four years to get around being with it was something that people always mentioned to me and it used to annoy the hell out of me it was like I had this dumb thing with I'm an actor for God's sake you know it's not the only bloody thing I can do and then it was commando and it's like oh for God's sake you know, it was like, <laughs> pound me with commando. And it's like, you know, I, I have done other things. And they go, oh, yeah, weird science was great. But commando, you know, and and and, uh, and, and Mad Max, you know, that that's that's like Superman. That is, uh, I, I couldn't handle it. I really couldn't. It was like this huge millstone around my neck, which followed me around and, and just wore me down. And I can remember doing an audition um many many years ago where i walked into a room and i got this the the sides and i went this is like mad max 2 you know very similar type character the whole thing and i went in and the uh there's like probably eight people at the table and the uh, casting director said um, is there anything you need to know about the character and i said no i think i've pretty much got it down. They said, well, you know, this is a very particular thing we want, so uh, we'd like to tell you what we're looking at. And I said, well, uh, whatever. So they sat there and they said, um, did you ever see the movie Road Warrior? And I went, actually, yes, I did. And they said, well, the character in that of Wes, you know, the gentleman with the mohawk, I said, uh-huh. They said, well, that's the kind of character that we're looking for. And I said, wow, okay. So while this is going on, I'm thinking I'm being set up by my idiot friends in one of those, you know, gotcha things. So I'm playing along, you know, like, oh, my God, that's wonderful. And they said, so um, we're um, looking for that. Just to let you know right off the bat, we're looking for that actor. We can't find him. No one's quite sure if he's in America or in Australia. And I said, oh. And they said, so uh, if, if, if we did find him, he would probably be our first choice, but we don't want that to affect your audition. I said, oh, no, that's cool. So I do the audition, of course, and then they go, wow. 
that was good. That was wow. That was not quite as good as the actor did. However, that was good. And you would be our choice if we can't find him. And I said, oh, that's great. Thank you. By this time, I've worked out. I have no idea who I am. Wow. And the, uh, the guy said to me, would you happen to have a headshot? And I said, sure, sure. And on my headshot was a little picture from Road Warrior and a little picture from Commando in the corners, you know, pollywoggers. So I just threw it across the table to him. And he sort of went, oh, yes. This is, oh. And he looked up and I went. You know, I would have loved to have done your film, but unfortunately, uh, I think I'll probably be busy when you're doing it. So, but thank you for the audition and walked out. Awesome. I would not work for him. I, I was love so pissed. <laughs> but it was just that ridiculous. And it wasn't, you know, I wasn't pissed because they didn't know who I was. I was pissed because they didn't do their homework. You know, the, the logic is that, hey, we're having these people come into audition, so maybe we should see what they've done so we can talk to them. It'd be like you sitting there going, so what have you done? Um, I, I know your face is familiar, but what have you done? Right. It, it, it'd be that kind of thing. And it's like, come on, give me a break. You know, it's not that difficult. I mean, I did a, a, a podcast the other day, which was so funny. This it was an Irish, it was from Ireland, by the way. And the, the guy like you that's doing the interview, he was asking me questions and telling me things about Commando and that that I had no idea. I, I was like, see, this was me. What? Seriously? Oh, crap. I didn't know that. We did? It was like he was coming out with all this shit. And I was like, dude, you, you amazed me. And he had found out things that I didn't know. I never knew who I replaced in Commando. I actually never wanted to because as far as I was concerned, that really had nothing to do with me. I, right. uh, they decided to replace him. That was it. He had the character, the guy's name. That's it. I said, um, uh, okay, thank you. Um, hmm, I'll, I'll, that'll be in my brain now forever. I really didn't need that. But, you know, so it's kind of interesting at times just, you know, you, you do things, you feel that, that what you have achieved is is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, now I am incredibly proud of what I've done. I mean, incredibly proud of my ability to be able to do what I do. Um, but it took a long time for me to get there. Um, I was always very skeptical of who I was and then I let that become the the millstone around my neck the burden that I had to carry um I think I thought more than anything that I didn't deserve it and so it became difficult for me but then when I look back all of those emotions that I had then were what drove my most iconic characters right which is the, the weird part of it is that that drove what I was doing and that made those characters come to life. I think it's so cool that like you said, you put so much of these characters that for the fans to still 30, 35 years later after these movies come out, people are still wanting to know you, see you, meet you, take pictures with you. And I know George Miller kind of opened up the world again with Fury Road and people are always like, well man, we should, it'd be cool to have Vernon back and stuff, but you have such an iconic character 
in Mad Max 2 that if I see you in Fury Road 2 or Furiosa or whatever, I'm going to be thinking of you as Wes. And so that might be a testament to how good that character really is. Well, that's exactly what George said to me, actually. When they were doing uh, Fury Road, um, I had nothing to do with it, by the way, but there was this whole big thing on the internet, you know, we want Vernon Wells in Fury Road. And um, I was in England at a convention and the other writer that was writing with George at that time came up to me and he said, hi, Vernon, I'm so-and-so, I'm uh, one of the writers, you know, co-writer on Fury Road. And I said, oh, great, happy to meet you. And he said, I've got a message from George Miller. And I said, ah, because I adore George and George is a really close friend and um, he, I think he's actually closer to my wife than me, but you know, that's all right, I forgive him. Um, he, uh, he said, uh, George, has, uh, George said that call up the hounds, you're not in the film. And I went, what? Like, what, what, what are you talking about? And he said, there's this whole big thing on the internet to put you in Fury Road and George can't put you in it because you created a character that won't die. And he said, no matter what he does with you, if he puts a bag over your head, people will figure out who you are. And now we're doing a um, Road Warrior 2, and that's not what we're doing. And I agreed. But, you right. know, I was not upset at all. I said, I'm, hey, I've already figured that one out. But, um, you know, I had my few minutes of glory, and, and I was proud of that. Um, so it's just, you know... You do them, and they become a little bit more bigger than life, and, and they tend to control you at times um, and what you do and how you do it. But I've been very fortunate that I've had a few friends who are directors that I work with a lot who have taken me from that and put me into to films where I actually have to act. You know, like, and I'm not saying I didn't act in those. I mean, you know, where I actually have to act like an actor. I have to get out there and make it work because I'm playing the good guy. Right. To me, playing the villain is is so much more fun, number one. And it's it's something that you have to create, you know, and it's got nothing to do with you unless you're a moron. Um, but it's got nothing to do with you. It's just a character you create. It's, it's something you come up with. So before I, before I let you go, uh, one of the things that really interested me, you got involved in video games. Yeah. So how did that come about? If you can kind of quickly describe the difference between acting in a video game versus a movie. Let me think. Actually, it came about because a um, long, long time ago, somebody said to me, you have got the most amazing voice. You've got to do video games. And I went, yeah, screw you too. Um, and that was it, basically. <laughs> I was not going to do it. Um, and eventually I got talked into getting an agent for a voiceovers and that went exactly nowhere because they had no idea what to do with me. Then a good friend of mine managed to get me into his agency and uh, the gentleman that was my agent was fascinated with Road Warrior. So he pushed me really hard. So I became um, quite successful at doing uh, voiceover. Then I got asked to do a couple of um, small Australian type, uh, like there was one that was um, an Australian animated film, which I voiced one of the characters in, which was kind of fun. I was just doing an Australian. But then it moved on from there, and I got asked to do some of the biggest video games that came out. And um, 
the thing that I love about doing voiceovers is that I can drag my potty little butt out of bed, don't have a shower, don't give a crap, go to the studio, get a bottle of water and half an apple and sit my grotty butt down on a chair and work for the next three hours and it's that. That's all they want. They don't care about this. They want that. Right. Um, and that's what I love about it is, is because it's so much more fun um, where you, you're not having to learn the script. You're not having to create a character. You're not having to do anything. You're having, you go into a studio and you become the character there vocally. And you've got wonderful um, directors who uh, know what they're doing and they tell you, you know, this is how I want it. That's how I want it. Do it this way. And, and you do it. And I've been, as I said, I've been incredibly fortunate uh, to be in four or five of the biggest games out there, you know, right. voice characters. But I always remember before I go one little, well, we're nearly close to going anyway. The fun story is that I got asked to, uh, to do um, do our sex, Mankind Divided, which was right, right. And um, I went up to to Montreal to do the voiceover for it and also to do the mocap, you know, motion capture. My first motion capture. Yay. And, you know, I have photographs of me in a wonderfully green suit with little white bowls all over me. I look like somebody's chucked up on the floor or the cat was sick or something and i was on the set and everything you do of course as you probably know is is you point to things and you touch things that aren't there it's going to be done in the when they do the game because it's not you they're they're creating a um animation of you i didn't realize that so i've got cameras on me up all over me doing this thing and um, the night before they'd added quite a lot of dialogue to what I was doing and they'd said don't worry about learning it just get it into your head we're going to put it on the screen and you can just read it you know so you'll be fine so I said oh great so I start off I'm doing my thing I'm touching things I'm moving things you know exactly where they're supposed to be and I turn around and I'm supposed to be talking to my crew who are to my left but I'm facing the right looking at a screen for the dialogue and about two sentences in I stop and uh, I got an earpiece in and the director says something wrong Vernon and I said uh, yeah I have a problem and he said what, what's the problem and I said well all of the other characters are off to my left and I'm facing the right um, that's going to look a little weird because I'm not looking at them while I'm talking and there was this whole silence and then this voice went it's animation, dumbass. We can have your head wherever we want it. Now, just read the lines. <laughs> right. I knew that. I was testing you. You know, I was like, actor. You know, the brain doesn't stop. It's like, no, I can't be looking there. I've got to be looking here. You know, you're not realizing that it's not you. You're going to become an animated character, which they'll put wherever they want it. Well, I want to thank you, Vernon, for your time, and uh, a special thank you to your wife for keeping you motivated and keep you going. And uh, it's your your roles in movies have been a uh, big part of my life, and uh, I want to thank you for the time and much we love and respect. Well, thank you for even wanting to uh, interview me. It's wonderful to be on your show, John. I love it. Um, and if if you uh, 
aboard one day and you want to talk to me again, please let me know and I'll come on and we can be bored together. No, I'd love to. If you, before you leave, if you could say that commando line, uh, hello, Jaws, I'm going to create that as a text. I'm going to send that to my guitar player because he'll lose his mind. Um, do you want that one or John, I'll be back? John, I'll be back. <laughs> okay, I'll do that one for you. <clears throat> John, John, I'll be back, John. Vernon, you are the best. Thank you, my friend. And uh, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Same to you, please. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. And you well. Be safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, bro. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.